Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. Welcome to another episode of Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. And this is a very special episode because I finally achieved, well, I guess a certain status within the Anchor gaming podcast community. I think we're no longer calling it the OSR Anchorites. Uh, there's a whole thing about that. Because, you know, in the end, we're, we're all gamers of different stripes and not everyone's OSR and no one even knows what OSR means anymore. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, but yeah, there's a certain status that one achieves when when one gets... When, when, when um, it is... I have described it as doing a Roy. Now, doing a Roy is something extremely specific. It's when a certain gentleman called Roy Lorenko of Chaos's Limb fame, the podcast Chaos's Limb, when he, um, very belatedly in my case, um, discovers your podcast and then basically goes through it from episode one to current and leaves a lot of messages. <laughs> about your back catalogue and um, I'm, I'm saying it with a with a jo- jocular tone but actually it is a great honour to have something like this happen because um, you know why would anyone do that if <laughs> you know why there is no actual answer to why they would do it but I guess it's a um, it's actually something that I do as well um, when I find a, a podcast that I really like. I'll I'll go back to episode one and I'll listen to it from the beginning. But um, I, you know what it says is you like the content and you like it so much you want to consume it a lot of it quickly. So uh, thank you, Roy. That's all I can say. So so really, this episode is pretty much dedicated to Roy's call-ins and to my responses to them and and of course what's interesting is he's calling in about stuff I put out months ago at the beginning of my podcasting career in inverted commas Um, uh, not a very lucrative career I might add Um, so it is in a way a good time to recapitulate to kind of reconsider maybe some of the ideas that I was tinkering with back then and some of my observations and you know getting call-ins on them months and months later actually puts them into an interesting new light so um here we go um here's here's the first of quite a few messages from from Roy Lorenko now um the 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 funny thing about Roy is that I actually I'm pretty sure he spells his name both R-O-I in some places Roy and R-U-I in other places which is which is of course a completely different name which is the sort of the Portuguese name quite a common Portuguese name Roy I I, Roy I I I can't pronounce it I can't speak Portuguese um so I am I, I am actually wondering you know Roy what is your real name uh, 
<laughs> Either way, you're Lorenko, and um, these are the Lorenko tapes. So um, here we go. Hi, Andy. Just started listening to your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Your first episode, yeah, memory is a funny thing. My brother and I, a couple of years back, tried to figure out when we first started playing, kind of used a system similar to yours, looked at what was included in the home's basic set, tried to figure it out that way. Unfortunately, I think a critical piece was missing. I didn't have any module with it. We never did figure out if it was defective or a mistake when they were packing. We also ended up buying ours in a department store, so I don't know if that had something to do with it. Anyway, I should uh, really do a whole episode on this myself. You're inspiring me. Everyone loves origin stories, don't they? I mean, look at um, all the superhero movies, and particularly the ones that have had two, three, or four reboots. Every single one of them starts with an origin story. Um, you know, they, they, they start again from the beginning. Because actually, origin stories are the Earth story. They are the story that we all love. Because they are that moment where you change from being an ordinary schmo into a slightly less ordinary schmo, or even a, a hero, um, and you start your adventure. And actually, what is fascinating is seeing that transition from being a nobody to being somewhat less than a nobody, and, and, and how, how individuals deal with it. Um, I have no idea where I'm going with this. I am no hero. <laughs> I'm still an ordinary schmo. Um, but, um, you know, we all have our origins in, in, in what we what we do and what we play and and also what we broadcast so so it's kind of cool that 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 Roy has gone back to my origin story and it's triggered something in him um it's funny when I started this podcast I really (laughs) it was very much intended to be this nostalgic look back at my gaming past um you know, the, the title itself was this fairly lame pun <laughs> combining where I lived with, with actually one of, one of the most notorious, let's say, or legendary um, TSR modules um, of the, uh, you know, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons years, um, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, um, which, is, which is a great adventure and... Um, but flawed, of course, as they all were back then, but, um, you know, gave the origin story of the boulette or the boulet. Uh, we, we should probably stop calling... I, I know, I know that's what... Um, is it Tim Cask who invented... I, I can't remember who, who came up with it. D- calls it a boulet. Whoever it was that invented it calls it a boulet. But, but is, that's not how it's... And, and refers to it as being kind of a French pronunciation but that is not how you would pronounce that word if it was in French uh, it would it would be pronounced boulette <laughs> um, boulet would be a y or et just single et 
not E double T E. Um, French pronunciation is pretty, as far as I know, it's fairly consistent around those sorts of. Anyway, I am so fucking pedantic. Um, I really should give it up, give it a rest. Um, but yeah. Um, it was a notorious and, and wonderful uh, adventure in many ways. The map was a bit of a head-scratcher because it was the interior of the, spoiler alert, spaceship that had crashed in the Barrier Peaks. Um, but it introduced a lot of really cool stuff. The veggie pygmies, the, um, that thing that was... Um, oh, what was it? Frogamoth, I think, was from that... Um, the thing that looks like a bunny, the bunyip, is that what it's called? I can't know, it's not. Um, but the thing that looks like a bunny sitting on a log and actually turns out to just be this sort of, um, I guess, lure, for, like a built-in lure from this, this horrible tentacular monster. Um, and of course, the best thing about it was finding alien tech and then the flowcharts on on you know, trying to use them as a pseudo-medieval um, warrior trying to figure out how to use a laser gun and, of course, ending up in, in, in carnage and explosions and, and um, you know, malfunctions. So it was full of great ideas. Um, I think it was written by Gary Gygax. I'll have to look it up. I should know, really, shouldn't I, given that it's the, the inspiration for my podcast. But... Um, but the funny thing is, even though that was my intention and, and, and clearly signposted, clearly, clearly signposted, um, it very rapidly stopped being the point of my podcast. Um, and it became more of a platform for me to talk about the things I was interested in my, in my current gaming. And maybe I, I'm not as nostalgic as I thought I was. And, and maybe my nostalgia for those years is, is minor. Because unlike a lot of people, I stopped pretty early on after after discovering D and I only really played it for a few years when I was a teenager, and then I stopped for a long, long time. So it it was incredibly important to me for a very brief period of time. But maybe looking back, the nostalgia of those years is is a little bit manufactured by me. It's not necessarily. I'm not really looking back on these wonderful moments because I don't really remember them because I don't think there were a lot of them. I think, as I've said in previous episodes, we spent a lot of time just arguing around the table as 13-year-olds are wont to do and and a lot of dice throwing at each other. I, I don't know why I remember this so vividly. Dice are actually really good for throwing at people. <laughs> we should do more of it. Anyway, yeah, Origins. Well, on to Roy's next one. Hey, Andy Roy here, listening to Barney's feedback on listening to your actual play. Barney from Local Ludus. Uh, first of all, he talks about how he couldn't tell that you had put in tons of hours of prep into this. Well, let me first of all say that sounds like an amazing game. The fact that you had prepared so much for it I would have loved to have been there at the table. That must have been awesome. Uh, But I wonder also if it's one of those things where because you've practiced it so often, you just make it seem effortless. So having kind of that foundation does allow you to improvise. It's kind of like uh, jazz, right? 
I can't just pick up a saxophone and know nothing about music and be able to improvise with music. You have to, first of all, know your instrument so well. But also listening to some feedback you got in your Gamers Gone Wild episode, it made me wonder whether or not running a sandbox actually requires more DM prep because the characters can go any direction. You have to really be prepared for multiple scenarios versus if you are railroading them, you have kind of a track that you're leading them along, which gives you much less preparation. Kind of the opposite of what I often hear people talk about when they talk about sandbox and it being low prep. I know for me at least, yeah, I'm just not as good at improv as I was when I was first playing this game. So without a strong foundation, I wouldn't feel comfortable running that game. So Roy there, um, zeroing in on quite an important topic to me uh, around prep and improvisation and, um, you know, running written campaigns versus, i.e. published ones versus making your own shit up. Um, and and I think I I have a very different attitude now and maybe it's because I you know as I said in that episode all those months ago because I had done so much prep for Masters of Nile Athotep um, I didn't really have to do much like in the week before I just had to have a quick um, skim um, but what I've discovered uh, whilst running my, my, uh, I don't know, overindulgence, I could, I, I guess you could call it my overindulgence of podcasts during, during lockdown was that, you know, with the right system and with the right modules or scenarios, I actually now know how to run very light prep games and and I trust myself a lot more to improvise than I ever would have and the funny thing is as as I've actually just literally just a few days ago started a new D&D 5th edition campaign um, the Ghoul Island campaign written by Sandy Peterson um, I'm kind of feeling that that tug again to go back to prep and 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 maybe maybe it is the system there that that is is the whole the whole thing and really the things that I am anxious to prep for are combat and having having the right um knowledge and tactical awareness to run combats well I Again, I, I, I've left messages for Colin Spike-Pitt-Green about this and talked about it on my own podcast, but there's something fundamentally different about prepping a D&D combat um, compared to prepping a Call of Cthulhu combat. Um, Call of Cthulhu combats can be complex and they can, and they can last a whole session. Um, we um, um, Just last night, in fact, um, my, my group 
had a hour and a half long combat in in the mosque of Al Hussein in Cairo, fighting off a, a group of um, cult assassins. Um, they were partially successful. Th- they survived. They they dispatched most of the assassins, but the target of the assassination did not survive. His head went sailing across the marble, the polished marble floor of that mosque. Um, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. So, um, but but really, what what um, running all these games, you know, um, Blackwater Creek and um, Forget Me Not and um, Ladybug, Ladybug um, and and. And and even I guess I, I I could kind of argue even even my King in Yellow that I wrote I didn't prep much for any of those and I and I think it was almost a forcing factor because um, because I I didn't have time to prep I was running you know when you're running six or seven or eight or nine games a week there is no time to prep so so. Um, if that's the case, if you've got no time to prep, you just got to do what you can. And in my case, that really meant just just making sure I had the right book open <laughs> and I was at the right page of the of the scenario. Um, it's a little bit more uh, complicated, obviously, when you're writing your own. I, you know, I had to make sure I'd written enough notes to cover the session. But then a lot of the other stuff is improvised. You know, I find the role playing very, very easy to improvise. Um, it's 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 kind of natural for me uh, to to do that. What I find hard is improvising complex combats, and you know, when you can just more or less make stuff up on the fly as you can in Call of Cthulhu, um, because there isn't that tactical element. Really, there really isn't. Uh, it's much more um, kind of much more narrative in a way it's much more important to actually focus on the, on the narrative of the combat than the tactical nuances of it so let's see I'll see how much this this improv and low prep mindset I've got can translate to, to 5e but I'm already feeling a, a big difference i i've been um setting up in roll 20 and i've been putting in all the npcs and all the monsters and and a lot of them are custom so so you know actually setting up their npc character sheet so all the attacks are automated and their initiative will roll and and creating tokens for them and then making battle grids and and uh maps and ugh, i'm back I'm back where I started. Maybe I should just stop running D&D. Maybe that's that's the, the message for me. Hey, Andy. I assume you're in Alameda County and getting the same alerts that I am, so hopefully you're staying home and staying safe. I'm listening to Appendicitis 002, and you talk about COVID-19 being an inflection point for our society. That, along with the episodes preceding this one where you dealt with racism. It all seems just so prophetic as I'm listening to it tonight. Anyway, be well. So I actually recorded a pretty long response to that last message from Roy, but I'm not actually going to put it into this episode because... 
it really is my response to the, um, I guess the events that have been happening the last few months, all driven by the toxic racism emerging in 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 the United States, and th- this does not sit inside this particular episode. It, it, my opinions are, are too um, strong about that, and I and I didn't feel it was appropriate to put them into an episode which is mainly about gaming, um, even though it is a part of gaming, um, and I feel the two are joined inextricably, politics and gaming are joined inextricably if you, um, <laughs> if you've looked at my back catalogue, so I'm just going to move on to the next one, and I will release a specific episode about my response to that very short but poignant message from, from Roy. Hello, Andy. We have survived thus far, and I believe I am caught up on all the Grizzly Peaks radio episodes, your non-actual plays, is that what you call them? Yes, uh, I wanted to comment on a few of them. So, let me start with the Ron Edwards interview. Yeah, I, uh, I have to say, I was probably perplexed throughout most of that. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, uh, but it sounded like there were a lot of deep insights being discussed. Now, one thing that struck me... Oh, shoot, I'm already reaching the end of this one. Episode 129, the Ron Edwards interview. One of the things I found interesting, although, as I said, I was uh, lost for most of the episode was his comparison of role-playing games to other media and him talking about this uh, originalist instinct to say that that which came first is best. It made me think of how canon is produced in other media. You know, we have film canon, Citizen Kane, we have literature canon in Shakespeare, and how people who are just starting a new media have very little appreciation for it. But I wonder if it's the same process happening there, and that's what created the OSR. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Ron Edwards is a... He is definitely someone with some opinions, (laughs) and pretty strong opinions, and, and, and I think very interesting opinions. Um, now, whether or not one agrees with them or not is a whole other matter, but, but I think he cannot be discounted. He was very important to an evolution in our hobby, and, and, and I sort of get where Roy's coming from, uh, about not quite following what he was saying <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, I think he's, he kind of has this shorthand for all the stuff that he has experienced and to some extent invented. And if you weren't there, if you weren't there, part of the Forge or part of that early indie gaming movement, it probably does sound a bit strange now, because it seems like we've encapsulated, we've we've reincorporated a lot of that stuff, and um, it it doesn't seem as 
significant anymore although of course it's deeply significant because it had to happen otherwise we wouldn't have normalized it so much as we have and if it hadn't resonated so much with so many gamers um then um then it would have just remained this this ignored outlier but it it actually i think has become canon (laughs) in a way so um yeah talking about canon and originalism the hobby is only what 45 years old I I know games have been around a lot 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 longer of course they have but I'm not talking about games um, in general I'm talking about role playing games in specific and yes you can take things back to um, those early war games and um Little Wars and um, the the German military kind of wargaming um, uh, tables uh, that that were produced in the 18th, 19th century. And yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that is fundamentally different. So when will we produce our Citizen Kane of gaming? Or... Maybe we already have, we just don't know it, because Citizen Kane was a flop when it came out. It actually took... Um, I mean, it was, it was engineered to be a flop because of um, William Randolph Hearst basically trying to get the film banned because it was a thinly-veiled sort of representation of him and his life. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's not get into that. Um, you know, it took many years afterwards for it, for it to be realised to be the... the the groundbreaking and epochal and and kind of I guess defining movie of of all time in some ways and um, you know that was 1941 Citizen Kane came out in 1941 Um, I guess you could argue that that cinema had been around for 30 let's say 40 but really 30 years up to that point Um, Hollywood really had only been in in kind of you know in, in, in into its first flowering for 20 years but still you know gaming as a medium has only been around for 45 years or rather rpg role-playing games as a medium have only been around for 45 years um cinema of course was invented well well before 1900 I'm standing outside a tire shop <laughs> and someone just cycled past with a with some kind of, with very cool music playing out the back of his bike. <laughs> this old dude. Uh, I'm in um, Emeryville in Oakland, which is a interesting neighbourhood. Lots of tire shops, kind of very working class and very kind of gritty. Easy, easy liquor across the road. And, um, yeah, where was I? So, so really, you know, we're not there yet, probably. We're probably not there yet. Or, or if we are, we, haven't, we don't realise it. And maybe, maybe it's powered by the apocalypse. Maybe it's Call of Cthulhu. I mean, Kenneth Height. Sorry, it's so noisy here. Kenneth Height. Um, often says that Call of Cthulhu is the greatest role-playing game ever, ever created. I think he says that on Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Uh, he, he says that quite often. I personally think it, it may well be, but 
Probably not. There's, there's going to be better to come, I'm sure. And really, what Citizen Kane did, and, and, and I think when any art form matures, and whether you want to call gaming or role-playing games an art form or not, it's up to you. But I think in some ways it is an art form. And I think when the maturity or, or the point at which an art form be- becomes to be, starts to be taken seriously, and this is a, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, this is not true, but <laughs> let's say 20th century art, because we are living in a, in a postmodern world, um, has to be self-reflexive. It has to critique itself through its production. And if you look at um, cinema and you look at art, uh, you look at painting, um, fine art, um, you look at literature, poetry, it all becomes very self-aware and aware of the need to go beyond representation that really, at the beginning of their lifespans, art forms tend to be about representing something real, something in the real world, or, or reflecting, uh, you know, realism. And there were, it took a, a very big shift in the 20th century, and I suppose starting in the late 19th century, for, for art forms to change into something where it wasn't so much about representation as about ideas and about... Um, I guess the human, <laughs> the human experience, um, um, translated through that art form into something more meaningful than just showing you the world. And and showing the world is is an important thing, and it's very it can be very beautiful and, and technically very very accomplished. But I think, you know, we're now at the point in most art forms where that's not enough on its own. Um, it must be about somehow processing all the other art that has gone before and and commenting on it in a way and you know i think that role playing games are sort of in that space to some extent if you look at dnd 5e it, it is almost like a commentary on all the dnd that has gone before if you look at powered by the apocalypse if you look at um, my my one of my current faves tales from the loop they they're all very self aware about role playing games and about the need to put structures and and mechanisms in place and i use that specifically as opposed to mechanics i think the two do not mean the same thing uh, <laughs> che uh, and uh, spike pit we can have endless arguments about this but um mechanisms in place to to drive you towards a better experience sorry more trucks towards a better experience of role playing which I think in the early days, the early naive days, they, they, they weren't there because we didn't know what all these pitfalls were or, or, or they weren't codified very well. Um, so, so, yeah, I, this is long and rambly and I'm, I'm surrounded by trucks and, um, and kind of empty lots and, and, and people zooming past in their turbos and... Cars for kids. What does that mean? There's a, there's a signpost across the road. Cars for kids. I do not want Amelia to have a car quite yet. Thank you. Anyway, um, 
I'll leave this one now because it is just kind of going up its own fundament. But um, but I think there's something to that, and you know, if you're in, if you if if you think if you think there's a dialogue worth having, leave call in, leave a voicemail. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Maybe I'm being super pretentious because that's kind of my default mode. Um, uh, pompous and pretentious. I think that that's a, a, a pair of words to to juggle with. <laughs> I hope I'm not pompous, but I am. I know I am pretentious. So, thank you, Roy, for for triggering this this tumble of words and thoughts and jumble. But I, you know, I I think we are in in a self reflexive period in, of gaming, and maybe this is the emergence. This is the point at which it can actually achieve something beyond just fun. <laughs> you know, because I suppose fun in RPG gaming is the equivalent of representation. You know, it's it's surface it's the surface of what you see and and actually the deeper experience is something you you need something else you need other other structures and mechanisms and and mechanics actually i think it does come down to how often you're rolling dice and what what that means and and how subtle the 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 impact of a dice roll is within a game Appendicitis 002. You describe Clark Ashton Smith as gloomy and heavy, at least his writings. And uh, I have found quite the opposite. Maybe his work is just so extensive that I haven't read all of the pieces you have or you haven't read all the pieces I have. But uh, yeah, I usually find his writing light and even with an undertone of humor in it especially compared to some of his compatriots like Lovecraft. Now, another note about Appendicitis 002. You talk about your teamwork, uh, how the two of you, one can focus on literature while the other brings in the gaming aspects or vice versa. Uh, That's symbiosis, if I may call it that. And that's just moments after discussing the bacteria and fungi that inhabit our own organisms and our symbiosis with them. Was that a coincidence? And as for your most recent interview for Radio Grizzly, uh, your uh, interview with a virgin, I think you most scandalously called it, I found it completely fascinating. Yeah, the uh, ideas and insights that the two of you brought out during that episode. Really fascinating. Yeah, this is one where I'm afraid I don't have anything of interest to add. So I don't probably want to publish this one, but um, just to tell you that I enjoyed it. So from being crushed by the wheels of industry, uh, I am now, I've now shifted to our local park um you can still hear the cars though because probably in the background because we it is next to a a motorway um freeway for my american listeners um but it's a lovely park it's a temescal recreation area um there's a i think it's a man-made lake here but there's a lake where people fish and um 
right now Amelia is learning to ride a bike so I'm going to go and join them after having had to replace a flat tire I'm sure this is all really interesting to everyone but anyway symbiosis and Clark Ashton Smith and um, virgins <laughs> nice nice messages there from from Roy um, I don't know if um, Barney Dicker um, Loka Ludus and I achieved symbiosis <laughs> um, if we did I don't know which of us is the host and which is the parasite hmm maybe it's more equal <laughs> You could say that RPGs are the parasite on literature. Huh? <laughs> there? That's one to juggle with. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Well, that's, that's leading me down a whole other train of thought that, that is interesting, but I, I, I don't have the mental acuity to, to, to grapple with it right now. Um, all I know is that, yeah, I, um, yeah, uh, Clark Ashton Smith wrote a load of stuff and, um, another person goes past, went past with music on the back of their bike. It's interesting. Uh, sorry, I went uphill, so I'm breathing heavily. Um, oh, is that a wild cat? Goodness me. Uh, either that's a, a large stray cat or some kind of wildcat just w- w- strolled along by the side of this wall. I wonder if I can see it. I mean, it wasn't a mountain lion. <laughs> it wasn't big enough for that. But who knows? There are other things here. Where does it get to? It walked along a wall by, by the wall and went behind this little sort of hummock. Oh, and it's, it's gone. It must have gone in. It must have found this little route. I'm going to go up and try and look for it. This is wow, cool. If if this is my last recording, um, you'll know it was done in the name of science. That I died in the name of science. I don't know how this will actually get posted. Maybe my wife will find the recording, and um, will ha- somehow get into my anchor account and somehow figure out how to post it but let's see i'm pretty sure the cat has this this wild cat has gone um the reason i think it's a wild cat is it was kind of brown and i've never really seen like a pale brown cat before i mean where did it go it just walked along by the side of this wall unless i was hallucinating oh it must have gone up there okay well whatever you were you were lovely and it wasn't, didn't see you for very long, and that's a shame. So, you can probably hear the, the mower in the background, so I'll switch off. Okay, so hopefully it's a bit quieter here, although if you listen carefully, there's a lot of birds. Yeah, I'm sitting by, by the edge of this beautiful lake. Um, the weather's perfect. It's 25 degrees. Uh, that's centigrade, which I guess is, what, 77 Fahrenheit? I don't know. <sighs> At some point, I will have to get a job, you know, but I'm starting to like this um, this life. It's a shame it's not sustainable, but anyway. 
Yeah, so before I was so rudely interrupted by by the fauna of um, the East Bay of San Francisco. Um, yeah, so the, 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 the only collection actually I've read of Clark Ashton Smith is The End of the Story. And um, yes, true, there are some, some more kind of, I would say, sunny dispositioned tales than that but a lot of it tends to be quite quite gloomy and and um that they tend to I, th- I think it's more of a horror story collection anyway so so roy i i will have to explore more of of clark um if if i can be so bold as to refer to him by by, by that first name um but this uh, yeah the, the the interview with the virgin um, I would say Bert, by his own, probably by his own ad- admission, would would say he's no longer a virgin. I mean, we've been playing now for um, he's been playing now for four months, twice a week, at least twice a week. Sometimes we we played three times a week at the beginning. That didn't last long. People people were getting burnt out. Wimps! I was running nine games. You can't play three. Anyway, <laughs> I don't mean that. I know you guys listen. I don't mean that. I, I, I actually two games a week is perfect. Three games probably was a bit too much um, uh, of the same campaign. Um, so yeah, Bert isn't really a virgin any longer. I think I think he knows more about about gaming now, but but within the very narrow confines of 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 the six of us who he plays with. Um, I think he's someone that likes to engage intellectually very much so theoretically. I think he would really enjoy the theoretical underpinning of our hobby. But right now, he's very much an intuitive player. Um, intuitive, but at the same time, um, he has this interesting habit, which I'm trying to sort of um, wean him off because I, don't th- I, I think it's a little bit immersion-breaking where he, he likes to think aloud what he as the player is trying to tactically... Um, accomplish for his character and <laughs> I find it kind of funny I've never really heard anyone do this uh, in such a way he will he will third person narrate what his character is thinking and what he as a player is then trying to um, interpret from that thinking and then what the action should then be it's it's pretty interesting um, I don't have any examples to hand. Uh, actually, there was one from the last session. I actually called him out and I said, "Don't tell me what you're thinking. Just, just tell me what 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 um, what Jack is doing. His character is called Jack. Just tell me what he's doing." And but it's, it's, it is interesting. Do is that is that actually um, not any? Uh, is that a problem? It, to me, it felt like a problem because it felt too metagamey. But maybe there's this interesting kind of middle space where you can narrate what your character's thinking and feeling. Because, yes, you can imply it through the way that you roleplay their speech and, and, and what they do. But that is very much Im- implied, implicit. I, I wonder if there is a way to, in a non metagamey way actually have this 
have this other layer of narrative that isn't what the character says, isn't what the character does, but but is what the character is thinking. I guess the problem there is that none of the other characters should be privy to that. So therefore, it it, it, it is a bit disruptive in a way. Then they then have to pretend that they don't know what the motivation behind what what Jack's you know running into the the fog bank to. Uh, to apprehend the cultists, you know what his motivation is there, or or why he's firing into this this group of uh, of assailants who are in in hand to hand combat with his friends, therefore with a chance of, of of striking one of his friends. Yeah, so it's interesting because I think I think I'm learning something from from running for for Bert. Um, I I would hope he's learning something from playing with us. Um, I, I think he he would say he is. So that's it, really. Um, probably went on for far too long about far too many irrelevant topics, but um, I just wanted to thank Roy again for leaving that wonderful series of, of calls. Um, it definitely made my uh, made me happier during a time when I wasn't doing the um, expedition podcasts. Just a note, Roy: the Radio Grizzly are my actual plays, and the expedition. The expeditions are my are my um, kind of GMing th- thoughts, <laughs> I suppose you could call them. I was going to say theory, but that would be that gen- that would be pompous if I was to call my random collection of of ephemeral and fleeting thoughts um, a theory. Um, it would take a better man than me to put these ideas together into something that could be qualifies that. But but anyway, look, I'm I'm gonna post another episode very soon with my response to uh, the, the, the racism um, uh, in, in gaming observation and, and um, I think it's time I did um, I haven't made many statements publicly and at, at the, at, for a while I thought look everyone is kind of doing this now and I wonder um, I wonder how how, how important it is to do it. I felt it was important. I didn't feel like I was quite ready to, to, to say anything. I felt like I needed to think longer. Um, I have made state, a statement months ago about this and those <laughs> opinions are fairly clear. But um, I don't know. I didn't want to be seen to be just joining into this chorus. I, I wanted it to be um, something very specific to me and something very personal. So... Um, I hope that will interest you and and um, you'll be able to hear it very soon. Um, Now, here's TJ. It's a game.